today we have two Bible readings, and the first one comes from Psalm chapter 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemies will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And then our second reading for this morning is from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Good morning. Uh, like I've been introduced, my name is Trace, and I'm ministry apprentice at Trinity Church Adelaide. It's such a privilege to be here this morning with you. It's my first time coming to Golden Grove. Um, it's very exciting. Uh, at Trinity, I've been uh, looking after a young adult's ministry for the period of my apprenticeship, and that's been an honor as well, and that's coming to an end this month. And so it's such a privilege that I get to preach in my very last month month of the year, apprenticeship. Now, we're going to be spending some time this morning in Psalm 13. And why this psalm? Well, it just fits in quite well with the series you've been doing, uh, concluding your series in the Psalms, but also as a good way to introduce your upcoming series, uh, looking at the big challenges, because in there, you'll be asking some questions of God about the challenges that are in our world. And in Psalm 13, David has some questions for God. And so we thought it appropriate to look at that psalm, just to take, to take a leaf from David uh, and see how he approaches these questions and how he brings them before God. And so that's what we'll be doing. If you happen to doze off at any point uh, during my sermon, um, I only have one point to be making, one point for you to take away, which is that David wrestles with his questions about God, God's world, in light of God's word. David wrestles with questions about God's world in light of God's word. That's the one message that... Uh, that you could take away. And to prepare our hearts and minds for God's word, let me pray for us. Loving Father, thank you for carrying us through 2020 and bringing us into a new year. Thank you that because of your son Jesus, we can have confidence to approach your throne of grace. As we reflect on your words this morning, Teach us how to wrestle with the questions we have about your world in light of who you've revealed yourself to be in Jesus, in whose name we pray. 
Amen. So Psalm 13 is a, a very short psalm, six verses. Uh, you could break it down in a number of ways. I have uh, sectioned it into three chunks, so verse 1 and 2, 3 and 4, and 5 and 6, and that's how I'm hoping that we will walk through uh, and talk, um, reflect on those uh, this morning. And I only have three points to make out of that psalm uh, uh, following uh, those sections. So the first point I'd love to make is that David has questions for God about his world. Please read with me verse 1 and 2. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? So David has questions for God about the circumstances of his life that he's struggling to manage. You can tell from David's questions that he's in a desperate situation. He feels abandoned by God and left alone to fend for himself in verse 1. And he has been in this state of anguish for days in verse 2, wondering how long it's going to take before God rescues him from his enemy. While David doesn't say who the enemy is pursuing him, we could make an informed guess from the description of his life elsewhere in the Bible. For example, there are at least two enemies that stand out from the books of First and Second Samuel. King Saul, David's predecessor as king of Israel, and Absalom, David's son, who both pursued him relentlessly to kill him. Whatever the case, examining the nature of David's questions in verse 1 and 2, it's clear that his distress is not so much from the enemy pursuing him, but rather that God has abandoned him in his time of need. And so he's asking, how long it will take for God to rescue him, sorry. Because you see, David has faced numerous enemies in the past. He had to kill a lion and a bear that were attacking his father's ship and even killed Goliath, a Philistine giant soldier that threatened Israel's armies. But in each of those cases, God was present to rescue him. And so, he is right to expect that God should save him from his current enemy. His expectations are completely reasonable. And so when they're not met, it's right that he questions God. Now, we too have expectations of the people in our lives based on our relationships with them. Those we consider close friends, we expect more from than those who are strangers. For example, I expect that my friends remember my birthday. And that when it's my birthday, they wish me well. Unfortunately, I sometimes have to remind even my siblings to wish me a happy birthday. But the point I'm making is that it's entirely reasonable for David to have expectations of God because of his relationship with him. And therefore to ask questions of him when those expectations are not met. So without wanting to drag you back into 2020, it's been a year of questions for many people. It's been full of COVID disruptions, deaths, droughts, 
bushfires, social injustice, rumors of wars in the South China Sea, wars in Africa, in the Middle East, to mention but a few. It's perfectly reasonable that those who believe in God might have wondered whether he had forgotten us. In reading Psalm 13, we should find the permission to follow David's example and ask questions of God because like David, we too have expectations of him based on our relationship with him. And you can see believers in God do exactly that in other parts of scripture. For example, God welcomed Job's questions about what he perceived to be unjust suffering and rebuked Job's friends for trying to shut him up. God welcomed Habakkuk's questions. Habakkuk was a prophet in the Old Testament. God welcomed his questions about his methods of judging Israel that to Habakkuk seemed violent and ungodly. Christ himself asked of his father on the cross in Matthew 27, 46, when he cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we too should feel confident to approach God with our questions about his world. And that's my first point. The second point I'd love to make is that David takes his questions to God in faith. Because if it's proper to inquire of God about his world, how do we do that? I think David shows us how in the rest of this psalm. So read with me verse 3 and 4. Verse 3. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I'll sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. What I immediately recognize in the first line of verse 3 is the way David addresses God as he approaches him. David addresses God with his personal name, Yahweh. That's why the English Bible translates the word Lord at the end of the verse in capital letters. In fact, three times in this psalm, David addresses God with his personal name. In verse 1, in verse 3, and in verse 6. Now, why is this important? It is important because it means David knows that he is approaching a specific God. In fact, he's God. As he says in verse 3, Yahweh, my God, who has revealed himself to Israel in the past and entered into a relationship with the Israelites. Therefore, in using his personal name, David is approaching God in relationship and in reverence. He recognizes that the one whose audience he seeks is no ordinary or made-up being, but rather the God of the universe, who has created and sustains all things, and yet in his mercy has revealed himself to Israel. This is why David can be confident to seek answers from his God. Because if he has created and sustains the world, it implies that he has full control even over David's circumstances and is therefore able to provide answers. It's also the reason why David is not simply asking for answers, as though a philosophical understanding of his difficult circumstances would be enough. Instead, David comes seeking affection from God. Hence his request, look on me and answer, 
or I will die. For David, the abiding presence of God is life itself, in the absence of which he is as good as dead. You get the sense in reading verse 4 that the triumph of David's enemies is only because of God's absence in his life. So in verse 4, and my enemy will say I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. So David's faith in the God of Israel is what informs the way he approaches him with his questions, both with confidence and in humility. David trusts in God, and so he feels safe to bring his grievances before him. Now we too are encouraged to have the same attitude when we go seeking for wisdom from God. In the New Testament letter written by James, chapter 1 and verse 5, we read, I'll read that for you. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Therefore, like David, we too should feel confident to approach God with our questions about his world. But when we do, we should approach him with confidence as our father and in humility because he is our creator. And that's the second point. The third and final point from verses 5 and 6 is that David wrestles with his questions about God's world in light of God's word. You might ask, how does that work? How is David able to both question God about his suffering while at the same time expressing his faith in God? After all, for many, both Christians and non-Christians, suffering is the very reason they either reject or fall away from faith. So that when we ask our questions about the suffering in our life or in the world, it isn't done to express our faith in God, but rather to express doubt, that he cares, or unbelief that he even exists. And to answer that, let's turn to verse 5 and 6. So read with me verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, But I trust in your unfailing love, My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Now, there seems to be a big change in the direction of David's prayer from verse 4 to verse 5. It almost sounds like a different David, as though something has changed in him or in his circumstances. Whereas he was feeling forgotten in verse 1, He now trusts in God's unfailing love. His heart was full of sorrow in verse 2, but he's now filled with the joy of God's salvation. And where the enemy was almost overcoming him, he now celebrates the goodness of God to him. This section reads like it's coming from a different David altogether. Or is it? Now this psalm is one short prayer, And it's unlikely that anything has changed in David's circumstances between verses 4 and 5. 
But if it did, that would be the fastest answer to prayer ever recorded. I think that instead, David demonstrates for us here how to both confidently hold on to the statements of verses 5 and 6, what we know to be true about God, even when feeling like verses 1 to 4, abandoned and confused about God's world. In fact, as we've seen in verse 3 and 4, it's David's knowledge of God that gives him the confidence to ask his questions about God's world. So what does David know about his God? In verse 5, David trusts in God's unfailing love, which might be referring to God's unfailing love for him as a person, or the nation of Israel, as David details in another psalm, Psalm 103. Furthermore, David rejoices in God's salvation, referring to God's pattern of saving his people and his promise to faithfully keep on doing so. Finally, in verse 6, David praises God for his goodness to him. In other words, David is wrestling with his questions about God's world in light of what he knows about God's steadfast character, his promises, and his providence as revealed in God's word. So we too can wrestle with our questions about God's world while upholding what we know to be true of him as he has revealed himself in his word. In fact, our knowledge of God is what enables us to confidently wrestle with the questions about his world. And we on this side of the cross are better placed to wrestle with these questions because we have a more complete understanding of God than David did. That's what our second reading from Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 to 4 was about. And I'll read it for us. So Hebrews 1 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. See, in Jesus, we have come face to face with God himself. And everything we need to know of God has been revealed to us by his son, Jesus, in his words, recorded down for us here in the Bible. Unlike David, our knowledge of God is not simply abstract knowledge, but relational. Because in Jesus, God has purified us from our sins and adopted us as his children. It's what the last part of verse 3 says. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Therefore, in following David's example, we should feel confident to approach God with our questions about his world, do so in faith, and in light of what we know of him as he has revealed himself most fully, in his son, Jesus. If you're not a believer in God, can I again thank you for joining us this morning. I hope that this passage has encouraged you to consider exploring what God has revealed of himself in his word and ultimately in his son, Jesus. Because having done so, 
you'll be better placed to inquire about the things that you do not understand in his world. But ultimately, to come into a loving relationship with God, where you can be safe to ask your questions of him. And if you're a Christian, I hope this passage has given you confidence and shown you how to wrestle with the questions you have about God's world in light of his word. So as we prepare to wrestle with the questions we have for God in the upcoming preaching series next Sunday, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the creator of our universe, that your ways are above ours and your thoughts above our own. Yet in Jesus, you have come down to us to redeem us from sin and adopt us into your family. Give us the confidence, we pray, to wrestle with the things about your world that we do not understand and to do so trusting that you love us and will in time bring all of our questions to rest when Jesus returns to take us home. In his name we pray. Amen.